We have Dr. Catherine Robinson on this week's Renew Guru. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm executive director of Renew Missouri, James Owen, coming to you live on tape from our palatial studios in North Columbia. Joining me today, we are continuing our series on uh, meeting and greeting new rural power coalition members. Uh, rural Power Coalition, to remind our listeners, is the coalition that Renew Missouri is involved with that's working on democracy issues with rural uh, electric cooperatives and you know doing that over the entire country now. Um, and we have uh, we have really uh, got some great new uh, folks involved, some very talented people, including Dr. Catherine Robinson, who is with One Voice. She is the program director for One Voice out of Jackson, Mississippi. Catherine, good morning. Good morning. I shouldn't have said good morning. I don't know when people are going to be listening to this, but <laughs> we are recording this in the morning. Uh, now I, uh, I, I, uh, I'm happy to have you here. You have been, uh, you've been, a, your group has been a member of the Rural Power Coalition, I think since last summer, since summer of 23, is that when you joined? Yes, sir. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what One Voice does, like what's your mission? What, what, is, what is it that you do down there? One Voice was created out of the wake of Hurricane Katrina. The objective, of course, was to educate the communities on policy advocacy, educate educate them on housing and social justice issues in under-invested communities that had lost their voices and was trying to regain them. Our founder, Derek Johnson, who is now the CEO of NAACP. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. By creating one voice, we found out that it was a dire need for this information, not just to collect data or do data analysis, but in regards to building partnerships with our local organizations and local representatives to make sure that we're building sustainable communities and advocating for issues to make sure that we are having communities that we're becoming successful and having economic development and jobs creations. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I realize we're coming up on 19 years since Hurricane Katrina and that disaster. That's uh, it's hard to believe. Um, so, so you're working on those issues. I mean, you're talking about a lot of of things you're you're tackling with this group. Um, <laughs> kind of, you know, from the perspective of electricity utilities uh where do, where do, where does your where does your organization's mission kind of work on those issues specifically um i head up the energy democracy program with my cohort charles taylor who okay. is the director of the NAACP mississippi state conference initially when we looked into energy democracy it was a conversation by community members that brought it to the table, telling us, hey, you need to look into the electric cooperatives because we're receiving these high electric bills. And, you know, the association is not doing anything that's benefiting the uh, members. Oh, right. And so in that case, you know, of course, like anyone, we started to investigate and just started to research what the electric cooperatives was. And from mm. here, we thought it was best to create the Electric Cooperative uh, Leadership Institute. Mm. And, 
this goes to educating member owners on their roles and responsibilities of being a member, but also educating them on the fundamentals of organizing. And if they wanted to become the next leaders within their community, what that looked like and what that entails. So mm -hmm. teaching them the ins and outs of their electric cooperatives, making sure that they know the difference of, from the Electric Power Association to municipal owned um, mm. compared to a uh, corporation owned. Yeah. No, I think I, you, you you touch on something interesting before you even talk about how people can have control over their utilities. You have to spend a lot of time explaining to them who their utility is, yeah. how it's how it's run. <laughs> and I, I don't know what your experience has been. Have you experienced that there are a lot of people don't even really necessarily know who their utility is in some cases? Oh, that is definitely the hard part. When I came on in 2019, <laughs> um, my coworker, of course, uh, Charles Saylor was already doing a, a majority of the work. So I can definitely say that he kind of jumped me in a lot more. So when I came in in 2019, a lot of people were not educated on being, knowing that they were member owners of their electric power association. Yeah. Even knowing that they had the right to vote for who yeah. for the directors for the electric power association. So of course, you know, then our outreach definitely has to change when it comes to working within these rural communities that have electric power association, because then it becomes more of we have to learn the different graphics of that area and also making sure that we understand what the needs are for those rural areas. So it goes into a lot of things. And especially yeah. what hits you is that you have to do constantly educating. That's the only way we'll become aware. And even mm -hmm. in that I think the best things for them to know is that, hey, you do have a bylaws. You Just because you're a member, you're also part owner. But nobody has ever prepared them or told them that they can actually run for the board or petition for the board. Or they have the right to question or take account or ask the board to take accountability for their actions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I think I think when people realize that they seem surprised, sometimes they seem upset. They didn't know they could do that. But I think ultimately, sometimes it really does empower people to know that they have that ability. Right. Even if they do it or not, they, they the fact they know they can do it is a good start. I, I wonder, you know, remind me again, I, I should have been taking notes. You you talked <laughs> you talked about this training you do. What is the name of that institute? What, what do you call it? We call it the Electric Cooperative Leadership Institute. The Electric Cooperative Leadership Institute. Okay, so... <clears throat> I want to talk about this because I find this to be really interesting about the work you do. Do you now are, are you, you you talked about this being um, founded after hurting Hurricane Katrina and some of the, the the systematic failures that that revealed? Are you are you I mean are you focused just on Mississippi? Is your group focused on you know a larger regional area? What well, kind of explain to me where where you all are focused as far as a uh, geography? So we are definitely based in Jackson, Mississippi, where majority of our focus is. We work within all 82 counties in Mississippi. We do have um, partners in other areas that we try to assist as well. Issues and how they have uh, addressed issues within their areas when it comes to policy or social justice issues. And what can we take away to make sure that we're doing the same here in Mississippi? So I can definitely say that I feel one voice is starting to become national. <laughs> okay. Um, but we are based in Mississippi. 
Okay. And you, uh, you said there's 82 counties there. I mean, off the top of your head, do you know how many rural electric cooperatives are in Mississippi? There are 25. 25. Okay. Because uh, we have 43 operating in Missouri, which seems like a lot. 25 seems like a lot, frankly. <laughs> um, so, okay. So you're in, you're in Jackson, which forgive me, I've been through Jackson. I've been to Jackson. Is that, that's kind of the middle of the state, right? Or the capital. Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, the capital. Um, and in your relatively large population center, um, this institute, how often does it have these trainings? Yeah, <laughs> we are gearing up for our next session. Um, our last 2023 class graduated in December. Okay. We have a session every year. Every year. So at One Voice, we have a leadership development um, project where we try to educate the next leaders of Mississippi and to mm -hmm. make sure that they're taking a deeper dive in just understanding the history of Mississippi and how different programs were created. So we yeah. have the Electric Cooperative Leadership Institute, but we also have the Mississippi Black Leadership Institute mm. um, and possibly looking into building more leadership institutes in the future. The Electric Cooperative Leadership Institute, of course, Definitely is every year. Yep. One of our focuses have been, of course, outreach is building that recruitment by going into the rural areas mm -hmm. and working with our local partners and local organizations such as NAACP, but yep. working with these organizations to make sure that we can have a meeting within these areas to discuss what's going on with these electric power associations. So in the, in the past, we have built our recruitment based off just doing a lot of outreach and phone banking and canvassing and just building those relationships with organizations and people wanting to learn more about the Electric Power Association. This yeah. kind of taking it into a, a much deeper dive, of course, because over the years it has become definitely uh, has grown within the last few years and people have become more active within their communities and want to become more engaged within their Electric Power Association. And mm -hmm. to have a voice that now we have decided to take up applications for the Electric Cooperative Leadership Institute by making sure anybody can apply as long as you're 18 and older. Um, yeah. And putting applications, just making sure that we are touching every base within Mississippi. Work majority, it released into nine, nine to 10 of the electric cooperatives. But now we, of course, we want to expand that opportunity to other electric cooperatives that have heard about the Institute, but also want to participate as well. Sure. And, and, and in 2023, when you last had this, how many people were involved? How many people did you have? We had 20 to 23. 20, okay. And is it like all day? Is it a weekend? Like how long does it, how long does it take? How long does it take to get these people uh informed on this <laughs> oh i can definitely say uh me and my coworker um sometimes split the tasks or we go together and now we have energy democracy consultants who are definitely great within the community that actually help us get the word out the class is usually on a weekend we invite them down on a friday night to stay the night they yep. come on saturday the class is usually from nine to five yep um, and during that day, we talk about different topics within our curriculum from bylaws um, mm. to electric cooperatives. And it's a it's a whole day course. For, and it used to be six to nine months. We've changed it over to quarterly. 
but however we are looking in the possibility because we are back from COVID, the pandemic made us switch mm. the way we were doing the electric crop leadership to institute. Now that we're back from COVID, we're in the process of probably going back to nine months. I see. So you, so this, so these week, this weekend training is like every, like so right now, I know you're transitioning to another kind of time period, but you're doing this four times a year, every quarter. At least four to five times a year. Yes, sir. At least four to five times. So it's same people. Mm -hmm. They come, they come Friday night, they stay all day Saturday. And then when they're done, they, they are, they are, uh, they get all this information about bylaws, about, um, about how their, their utilities work. Um, okay. I think, okay. I get that. Um, does it, I mean, so does it cost people to participate in this? Oh, no. no. Okay. That's good. Everything, so that's not fair here. Yeah. Everything is educational. Uh, we definitely do not charge a fee for you to be in our leadership institutes. We welcome any and everybody. Yeah. Great. Uh, how do you find, how do people find this? I mean, like, I know you, you go into these communities you you sound like you have uh, you know good partnerships with the NAACP there in Mississippi. I mean, is that where you is that where you kind of for lack of a better term market this? Is that how you get the word out? It different organizations, of course, NAACP, but we work with a lot of organizations here and a lot of representatives within different areas. So of course, a lot of our outreach goes by going into the community and building partnerships and making sure that we're getting that messages messaging out. So one of our goals and action goals has always been to go within the community and learn and listen to the community, whether it's house calling, canvassing, or either phone banking, but just reaching out to members to try mm. to get that much engagement. Right. That's got to be a lot of work. It definitely is, but I, I definitely <laughs> think it's fun and it's fun and it's a learning experience because there's never there's never not an opportunity where you will not learn something different. So uh -huh. I definitely is is different from every county, but it's definitely it's definitely a great experience. Yeah. Um and so I guess, you know, one of the things I always like to ask uh the Rural Power Coalition members when I have them on this podcast is you know, in terms of your state, in terms of where you work, um, what are some of the challenges that you see involving uh, member owners and their co-op? Um, uh, I, you know, I, I, I know we certainly know what our challenges are here in Missouri, <laughs> uh, but I'm always curious to hear, like, what what is it that you hear from the, these folks that you're talking to and these people that are involved with this institute? What are they? What's on their mind? What are they concerned about? <laughs> um, we, can, we can take that piece by piece if you want <laughs> right, we, can, we can probably talk all day about some of these issues um, sure we call our program energy democracy but these electric cooperatives were built for economic development and for job creation and energy efficiency yeah. however over the years within Mississippi, a lot of our board of directors, and it might be the same for you in your state, a lot of our board directors have been sitting in these seats for over 20 years. Yep. It's the yep. And it's not becoming more beneficial for members. Members have been de facto from their rights. They really have not been given the opportunity to have an input of what goes on with that association. Yeah. Uh, Two, energy efficiency. They are receiving high electric bills, close to $2,000. We had one member on. Wait, how much? 
$2,000. We had one member owner, her electric bill was $2,000. Like And a she, month? it was uh, $2,000 in one month. That was in December. And then the next month, it was, I want to say it was around 1000 Good That was, land. she is elderly. She's on a fixed income. Oh my gosh. So, you know, with these high electric bills, you're having to choose between paying for your medical bills or paying your utility bills. Yeah. Or just going without, and that shouldn't be the case. No. It No. definitely shouldn't be the case. We've had instances where people have petitioned for the board within their areas, and there has been a campaign from the association calling the radio station or putting in a newspaper telling people not to give their information to anyone because it's a scam. But that's the only way you can petition for the board because you have to have their signatures, their account numbers. So I definitely say it is, it has been a struggle and it is a struggle. That is sleazy. Um, so we always have to, you know, be five steps ahead and think of different actions to take when we're approaching the electric So, power. so when you've got people petitioning to try to get on the ballot, they the co-ops are going out in the media and saying, "Oh, be careful! Don't give your information out." Mm -hmm. And then, so they're doing that. Right. Uh, and have you have you encountered people who say like, oh, I don't trust you. I don't know what you're doing with my information as a result of some of that, some of those efforts. We petitioned in one electric cooperative, which is called Twin County Electric Power Association. We've had, at least every year, three member owners to petition for the board. And some of the issues we had, people were canvassing, going to the door to get their petition signed. And they've been told, you know, the Power Association told me this was a scam. Do not sign this. But you have to give that information. And it, it when I tell you, it gets harder every year. <laughs> every year it gets harder. But the, the bright side about it is that, you know, people are hopeful. People are still, regardless of what they have encountered the year before or the year before that, that they are still hopeful in regards to that they're sooner or later, they're going to see a change. Yeah. Uh, I, I never, I never heard of a co-op doing that. I'm, I'm a little, I'm still a little shocked. I got to recover a little bit here. I also kind of wonder in regards to this woman or this, this member owner that had the $2,000, utility bill uh was there any response i mean did you talk to anybody at the co-op about that i mean did they have a response to why that was justifiable It was told to her that they based the bill off of, I guess, previous previous months or how it was in the previous year. So that's why her bill was so high. We did write the association asking that they give her some type of grace to Yeah. pay off the electric bill. But however, we never received a response. Never received a response. No. Um uh, yeah, I mean that, you know, that's that's it's it is, I mean, that is I think something that we uh, you know, I mean you you hear a lot about, you know, high utility bills, you hear a lot about people who get uh, into a rearage. Um I mean, one of the challenges that you've got. with a utility is, you know, they don't really necessarily have incentives to offer energy efficiency because they make their money selling power. But then you, but then they, I think they kind of forget they're supposed to be nonprofits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they don't necessarily have to make a bunch of money. <laughs> I understand they have to operate. I understand they have to keep their people employed, but they don't have to sell Right. 
$2,000 utility bills. I mean, I would have to think that there's got to be some something they could do. I mean, I mean, are there any utilities or any co-ops that have even tried to do rebates or provide people with energy efficiency programs? Has that just been met with resistance? Definitely. We have a few electric cooperatives in Mississippi that have tried to provide rebates or have a program that gives the member owner graces to pay off their bill, especially one electric cooperative I love. It's called Fort County Electric Cooperative. They actually have different foundations that benefits their member owners. One, of course, the program is where they allow people to donate money to help with funding for those who might sure. be this being, being disconnected. So there are electric cooperatives in Mississippi that are actually trying to give other mm. opportunities to member owners and make sure that they don't go without. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I, I, you know, we always use the phrase co-ops and we talk about our, you know, rural electric cooperatives. I mean, there, I mean, there are so many of them and they're all different mm-hmm. and they all kind of have different approaches. Um, but I mean, I think, you know, you touched upon something that's it's interesting when you're talking about these people who have been on the um, boards for a number of years, decades. Um, yeah, we we've we ha- we've we've observed in Missouri people like almost inheriting mm-hmm. seats from their father, grandfathers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there is a status quo there. There's a status quo that. um that you know is established when you when you've got kind of the people who've been there for a long time. They don't want to look at anything differently. They don't want to try anything differently. Mm-hmm. I mean that that seems to be like it's not necessarily that I have any objection to, you know, we're not asking for anyone to be term limited, but we are asking them to like think about ways that they're that they should be serving their their customers. And that's not too much to ask, is it? <laughs> Oh, but I definitely think it's becoming the norm that organizations, as well as even us as human beings, are scared of change. Yeah. And you know, when it comes to taking another step forward, you like what could happen? I could possibly fail or I could possibly grow. So I think just taking that change is probably the biggest risk that they're afraid of. Yeah. Um, but with the with these board of directors seats. I think it's making it harder because the NRECA allows them to control how they govern their association. It's really becoming difficult for people to even mm-hmm. get on these boards, especially here in Mississippi. Uh, it's really hard because, of course, you have to petition. But just to ask yeah. someone to vote for you is really hard because, one, oh. they probably never voted before. Two, they don't know what it looks like right. to even receive a proxy in the mail. And then three, you know, a lot of the electric cooperatives here, they don't have the opportunity to vote different ways. Some of them do, but a few that we have encountered only have one way to vote. That's either to mail the proxy in or take it into mm-hmm. the association. Wow. So in that course, and then we've also experienced where we petitioned for the board. Our candidate, he took his ba- his proxies, I would say ballots. Lord, you, of course, you know we're in election season, so my mind is everywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> his proxy into the association. It wasn't until the day of the annual meeting they were, gave him a letter and told him he was disqualified because they had changed the bylaws. Now, mind you, we had pulled the bylaws the day before. They had not been changed. And so what they did, they had printed out a bylaws, printed out a label, 
put the label on top of the bylaw and said, oh, yeah, we changed it in July. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. That's, I mean, and yeah, I mean, you hear stories. I mean, you know, you hear stories like that a lot. I, I wonder, in your opinion, uh, I mean, do you believe that there, I mean, do you believe that there's a, an issue of, 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 of race that factors into how they, they, they treat candidates, how they treat member owners? I mean, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not interested in like calling people racist, but I mean, do you think that factors into how this goes along? I definitely, the, I'm not going to say they're racist, but I definitely do think that does play a big part within our rural electric cooperatives majority that we are encountering that we work in specifically are majority African-American. Yeah. So I definitely yeah. do think it does play a big part. Definitely not going to say they're racist, but I do think that does play a part because they are African-American and a lot of people are uneducated on them. Mm. Owners, they haven't even been told. They just, they're just paying into association. They were not educated on, Hey, you have a bylaw. So you know, if I go into the association, they're not being given the bylaws once they sign up to become a member. So I think that goes into a lot of account with the associations. And and if you notice uh, whether or not the boards or the leadership of those RECs, do, do you find that they reflect uh, <laughs> the composition of the community they serve? They do not. They don't. Yeah. Um well, yeah, because I mean, we you know, here in Missouri, uh, you know, we have a we don't really like in rural areas are largely pretty homogenous here. We don't have a lot of minority populations and a lot of rural Missouri. You, you see, that's not the case necessarily in southeast Missouri, which is kind of, um, you know, kind of uh, around the Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas borders, like kind of down there in that part of not very far from northern Mississippi, in fact. Where you do see that there is that there is a little more diversity there, but certainly the co-ops that have served those areas have never had a minority board member in their history, Ooh. and um, it, it's it's it, it's noticeable. Well, I think one of the issues that we are approaching, and this goes into we've been reading these bylaws, um, three questions that we have had for the association, of course, is like, what is good standing? What What is the real definition? A lot of people don't understand good standing because when it comes to the annual meeting after cutoff time, which you might not be aware of, they cut off and say, oh, you can't vote because you're not in good standing. We've also asked, what does minority look like? And I'm starting to believe that with the association, these my, the minority does not specifically say you have to be multiracial but you can be, okay, there's man and there's one woman. Mm. So just saying, we still provided <laughs> minority diversity. Are just, women even a minority in some of these areas? I mean, like I noticed that there's not, more women than men, right? So we're not <laughs> just specifically saying, so I, I think it goes with account with us really having to push on what is your definition of minority and good standing yeah. when it comes to your bylaws i think specifically for our association it does not mean i have to be multiracial it right. means i can have diversity by having men and women yeah i think that is what they how it takes account now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i yeah we we we've we've heard that a little bit they're like we got women on here uh, yeah like you know we're we're we're, right. we're moving into the we're moving to the 20th century i guess right uh 
Uh, well, I, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, it is. There's so much, so many challenges here, and um, it is, uh, it is, it is, it is, it is good to see all of all of you doing this work. Um, I mean, if people want to learn more about what you do, where could they go? Where where would you point people if they want to learn more about your organization? If you would like to learn more about One Voice, I would definitely say visit our website at onevoicemississippi.org. Okay. Or you can go to social media. If you have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we are, of course, still One Voice Mississippi. Um, yeah. If you'd like more information, um, definitely if you would like to attend a class or present in one of our classes, you can definitely email me at crobinson at uniteonevoice.org. Or my coworker Charles Taylor at C Taylor at uniteonevoice.org. And that one is spelled out. Okay. And I, I will do my best. We we send this uh podcast out to our supporters. I'll make sure I try to get all that, those links in the email. Um, I can't do that when we put this on uh SoundCloud or anything, but I can do that for our supporters. I mean, I am I am personally very interested in this training you do. I think it sounds like something that could be beneficial to people who are engaged with this issue in Missouri. I would, I would certainly love to learn more about how you all do that. So uh, for sure, we'll be talking. <laughs> yes, I said, um, come to the class when the dates come out, I would definitely send them out to you. Yeah. Or just talk and tell us more about Missouri and um, how you've advocated around issues. I think it'll be great. I'll come to Jackson. Heck yeah, I'll come to Jackson. It's not that far for us. <laughs> I don't think you'll want to leave after you taste our soul food, but of course. <laughs> uh, one thing, I mean, I am, uh, you know, I'm I'm a hick from the Ozarks, and I certainly say one thing that the South has over the Ozarks is the food is much better. <laughs> without question, uh, without question. But I mean, also like just learning about your organization. I know we were talking about this a little bit off the recording, you all also are involved with the legislative issues there in Mississippi as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, how's that? How's that going this this session? We have a great policy team, which is headed up by attorney Kyra Roby, who is a policy director here from Mississippi. Right now, we are in the kinks of making sure that we are working with legislative updates and watching out for anything that might harm the citizens. So right now we're definitely doing a lot of outreach a lot of watching the committees and going into the legislative session to see some of the decisions that are being prone right now. One of our folks, this is a big, big election year for us. So definitely trying to make sure that we touch base with our election commissioners and our local representatives about increasing voter registration, making sure we address the ballot initiative here in Mississippi and just staying on guard and making sure that we're prepared for whatever comes our way. You all have a ballot initiative process down there? Yes. <laughs> we, we definitely be having we definitely have been having some issues uh here in Mississippi. I just say be be prepared to hear my rant on some of our calls. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I yeah, I mean I yeah, cuz like for me, I mean certainly, you know, we we lobby uh to the extent the IRS, you know, laws, you know, allow us to and um you know, we have a we have a really dysfunctional legislature right now, which in some ways is good. That that prevents some bad things from happening. Um, 
we we have a rural electric cooperative who's very anti-solar and they're always pushing anti-solar legislation which is kind of stalled right now but um how, how's your legislature in terms of function functionality <laughs> right now on monday with one of our local partners we will be having possibly a press conference we'll be having a press conference i do apologize at the Capitol because they have came up with the Bing project for broadband. And, you know, broadband to help the rural areas become un more universal yep. access like the urban areas. But now they wanted to put certain stipulations on broadband for the rural areas when it comes to costs and different things of who should receive it within those areas. So we definitely would be having a press conference on Monday. There has, oh, interesting. Been, a whole, there has been a whole equity plan mean equity plan provided for broadband within these rural areas. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I started learning that, you know, I kind of thought the rural electric cooperatives would really like get excited about broadband. I thought that was another service they could make money on. But I found that they, they, they've been a lot more, um, I don't know if cagey is the right word or reserved about it, but they don't seem like they're yeah. embracing it as much as I thought they might. When it was brought up, broadband is actually a great idea. You know, it, it'll help with more economic development when it comes yeah. to the rural, rural areas, especially within our rural areas. We have lost our hospitals in majority mm. of our rural areas. So now yeah. majority of the citizens within those areas like the Delta are having to drive here to Jackson, which is an hour and a half away close to two hours on what area you in just to come to the hospital. So you have to think about the risk you are putting your life in when you have it to drive those that far. Yeah. Yeah. That same issue. We thought the electric cooperatives would be excited about broadband. A lot of them have been reserved and, you know, like, no, we don't want it. A few have given their member owners the opportunity to address, you know, Hey, do you, would you be interested in broadband? But now it's become a bigger issue, and oh. um, we'll be having a press conference. Yeah, it's just—it seems like one of those things that just should be obvious that rural uh, America, rural Missouri, rural Mississippi should should have that. Especially when we looked at—I mean, as an example, um, you know, during COVID, when you had school kids mm -hmm. who couldn't go to to class and being able to have access to that. I mean, I'm I'm from a town of 120 people. And actually, it was featured, I think, in the New York Times as, you know, where these kids didn't have Internet in their house and they were expected to be online to do homework and couldn't do it. Right. What are these kids like? I mean, I know I'm I'm old now and I haven't gone to school in a long time. But like <laughs> if I were a kid now or if I was raising my kids in that area where I'm from, what would I do? What would anybody do? It's it, it just seems like that's just such a we're just holding people back. Mm -hmm. And it seems like if you're, you know, rural electric cooperatives are supposed to be bringing rural America into the future. That's been their promise for almost 90 years. And I just I'm glad that you are down there in Mississippi trying to push them, push them in that direction. So. And the, so that's why I said our with our ballot initiatives and the legislative that we come the legislative process that's going on right now, you know, we really are trying to restore a lot of things when it comes to our constitution. Yeah, um, 
we spoke earlier and I told you about our rice restoration campaign where we are really trying to amend the constitution for them to restore formerly incarcerated and or offenders rights, you know, voting rights. A lot of them have came out of prison. They've paid their debt to society and they deserve sure. their rights. So we have a lot of things. One voice is active in and that we're campaigning for. I definitely say issues across the board. This is going to be a long year. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> we, like I said, our policy team, I can definitely say they are some great women. Definitely. Mm-hmm. But we're gearing up to see what might come our way. Of course, Rights Restoration Act is just one thing with its disenfranchisement laws. I'm looking at the ballot initiative so we can start getting things restored and amend the Constitution, of course. Mm-hmm. But definitely looking into more opportunities to get ready to bring action for issues that's about to be approached. Yeah, yeah. Good luck. I, I really I wish you luck with all of that. It's I think it is going to be a really, I don't think people are quite prepared for what kind of electoral year this is going to be. Um, mm-hmm. I'm certainly, I'm not ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Catherine, thank you again for your time. Uh, it's been great to have you on here. I've enjoyed talking to you. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time. Oh, no, thank you. And thank you all for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your uh, your podcasts. Uh, leave a review to help amplify uh, our reach and share on your social media platforms as we will be sharing this on ours. On behalf of Renew Missouri, I want to thank you all for listening. Have a great day and an even better tomorrow. Bye. Take care.